This podcast is produced by Unedited. It's not just okay, that's that's how we work. That's what makes us human, that we experience a full gamut of emotions and there is no right emotion and wrong emotion. We just do what we can with it. Hello and welcome to episode 190 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. I'm a coach and this podcast is all about self-development and helping you find more clarity and happiness in life. And each week on the podcast, we hear the stories and tips from some of the most inspirational people in the world, learning how to take the small steps every day to improve your mental, emotional, physical and spiritual health. But before we jump into this week's episode, I just want to let you know that the last few copies of the first print run of my book, The Search for Clarity, are very nearly sold out. And this book shares my experiences and biggest learnings from my personal development journey and tips on how you can create a better life for yourself. And as there's only a few copies left, I'm offering an exclusive 20% off to listeners of this very podcast. All you have to do is use the code podcast20 at the checkout. And to find out more information and grab a copy of the book, simply head to thedreamersdisease.co.uk forward slash clarity or click the link in the description of this episode. So on this week's episode, I am joined by Bobby Temps, who is a podcaster and mental health campaigner. And with World Mental Health Day happening this Saturday, I thought it would be the perfect time to have a chat with Bobby about all things mental health, but particularly something that's a bit close to both of our hearts, which we kind of discussed in this episode, which is education of mental health in schools and what more schools can be doing. Because we both kind of feel like we suffered during the years we were developing in school and felt that the schools could have done more and would like to see more action taking place in schools which is one of the big things that Bobby has been campaigning for over the past few months and is kicking into gear very very soon which is very great to hear. So during this conversation we spoke about the importance of feeling all of your emotions, why being selfish isn't only about you and mental health education in schools. The aim of this podcast is to inspire so if you like what you hear in this episode be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Bobby. Hello, Bobby, and welcome. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Pleased to thank be you. here virtually. Yeah, as always. Um, thank you for joining me, kind of returning the favour after guested on your podcast, which is kind of how we met really, wasn't it? So yeah, really excited to have you here because there's so much that's kind of been going on in your world just personally with stuff you know we've been talking about already before we hit record and stuff that's going on in life in general. And I think at the minute, a conversation kind of I guess what ours could transpire into is, is going to be very important because you know you have your own podcast mental podcast which is you know helping destigmatize the conversations around mental health and a lot of what I do through coaching through the content up out through the podcast anchors a lot in that world you know because it's a big part of my journey um, so I'm just interested in, 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 to, in terms of the podcast like what was the kind of inspiration for you to, to start that as a project? Sure. Well, I've been thinking about it for a little while, actually, this concept of having a show that not just talks about mental health and tries to share, you know, the honest version of what it is to live with, but also something that's very mission led and something that's really there to destigmatize mental health. Because what I saw from a lot of the media representations of mental ill health was this very limited narrative like so many of the articles, and this is unfortunately still quite true today, where so-and-so comes out about their bipolar or mm. so-and-so overcomes depression. And it was this very, you know, strange thing where mental ill health was always talked about in the past, 
and always there's something that's like a light switch that you're you're struggling with it and then somehow you get fixed Mm. and the real focus on that and actually what we try and do is give a much more honest nuanced look at it of the ups and downs the fact that there is no easy fix it's a journey but also within that there's so much you can learn about yourself and about looking after yourself and, and those around you by exploring mental health yeah yeah and I think a big part of the conversation as well which you know kind of what you're saying there is there's a lot of you know, X person comes out with their mental health struggles and mm-hmm. now they're fixed, you know, in a massive inverted commas, right? <laughs> but I think, you know, it's all good and well because it's great to have the conversations started, you know, much like what we have, you know, to see people who are known to the general public to be coming out and say, look, I've been battling and facing this um, is great. But I think like the journey behind that and, and the kind of everyday battles is the kind of the, the real work in terms of mental health, in terms of like where we're at, how people st- you know get through a day when it's like they might have had seven great days and then you have two days where they're just low as anything like how do you kind of get through that and then the other part of it for me is like what's what is it within society within the way we live that is causing so many of us to have these experiences in the first place you know because it's almost like okay let's talk about the the fixes and the you know the way to deal with but actually let's talk about the cause (laughs) like like, how do we how do we ease the cause so that this isn't becoming such a big thing amongst young people amongst people in general you know right and i think that way of seeing it actually is very unfair for those experiencing mental ill health the idea of coming out with Mm. it i really hate because it puts all the onus on the person struggling to have a way to perfectly articulate their experience about the thing that in its simplest form, messes with your head. It alters the way we interact with the world and and interact with ourselves and makes a lot of things like communicating how we feel a lot harder. So then for you to be expected to have this perfect way of articulating it and this kind of weird like coming out type idea of a story, maybe it's then no coincidence that people wait until they feel Mm. they're over it before ever mentioning it and I think it also takes away some of the responsibility of us as a society like you say of why are people going through these things why do people feel the stigma and actually why do we feel that this is hidden when it's Mm. probably not that many of the symptoms can be quite clear to see if you know what you're looking for and actually we should be doing more to check in with each other and go a bit beyond the how are you, I'm fine conversation mm-hmm. with the people that are closest to us. So, yeah, so I really want to see that shift where the onus isn't so much on the people that are struggling and together we can all tackle the stigma because it's oppressive to everyone. Exactly. And I think one of the the, the, the cases in, in, in a way that, that happened recently that really highlighted a lot for me was um, Caroline Flack. You know, she was Mm. quite clearly going through something in her life, hence, you know, probably her actions with her, you know, partner at the time. But then what happened after that led to her taking her own life because she was being berated from all sorts of areas online, the press about her actions, instead of probably having people go, actually, let's lay off a bit here. Like, and the people who are around her to go, is everything okay? What can we do? How can we help? You know, let's get a conversation going so that you feel like you are in a comfortable place but as as a people as a culture as a society 
we we push it the other way we try and we try and almost poke the person you know and it's different obviously being in the limelight to like every day like if it's every day with your friends they're not necessarily poking you but they might be doing it in a more subconscious way in terms of like not understanding why it is that you don't want to go out tonight why you've just flaked out at the last minute to be like oh no i can't make it i'm not feeling well when in fact you're probably feeling really overwhelmed or really in a hole and can't drag yourself off the sofa or bed like instead of them being like oh is everything okay like let's have a chat it's okay like oh you're flaking again do you know what i mean so it's like i think we have to look at the way like you said we're showing up ourselves for other people and not just for ourselves right because we've got this weird thing at the moment which in its most exaggerated sense means that people either are showing their struggle and then the default is to be like you're okay, it's going to be fine, don't worry about it, you know, sort of brushing the stuff off. Because a lot of seeing people struggle understandably makes us uncomfortable. But we also need to all get better at having those conversations to be a bit more productive than there, there, you'll be okay, shake it off, or man up, or whatever the phrase Mm. is. And then at the other end of that, there's a, a similar but different kind of invalidation of feelings. And I feel like Caroline Flack was victim to a lot of this, where because her public persona was so kind of upbeat and jovial, Mm. a lot of people thought, well, you know, she can't be a victim. She must be happy and doing absolutely fine. And it's like that's in front of the camera. So we've got to find some in-between between you'll be fine, brush it off, and you don't seem sad, so you can't be. Mm. What does that in-between look like to you? I guess more conversations like this, you know, actually talking about the nuance and like you said, the the ups and downs that people go through and the fact that there is no binary. There's no binary with mental health of you're never real or you're always ill. You know, that's not how it works. There's no binary with like good people and bad people. And we actually... I think really connect to that nuance because it's more real. Like if you think of a lot of, for example, modern TV nowadays, mm. shows that really hit like Orange is the New Black was so massive. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that these women seemed more real because they'd done things in their past, but they were still relatable. Mm. And that feels a lot more familiar than perhaps what we grew up with, with the kind of Disney like, good witch bad witch sort of uh ends of the spectrum yeah yeah i think you're right and i I think also it comes down to like understanding that really like it's okay to be struggling like and i know that you know we talk about a lot it's okay to not be okay and all all of these things but like understand that like it's absolutely fine to not feel 10 out of 10 every day like it's fine to be two out of 10 maybe today even if you're listening to this right now and you're feeling two out of 10 that is so fine and it's fine to explain that to someone it's fine to be able to communicate that with someone don't feel like it's um almost embarrassing and i think that that's what happens is we we get caught up in this you know like again using caroline flack as the example like she's so jovial on the outside like she can't be struggling because this is how she is but it's okay to be able to reach out and go do you know what this isn't how i'm feeling today i'm feeling like this instead and start try to have that conversation and even just unload it a bit you know i think a lot of it comes down to unloading as well when you feel like you're unable to do that and it's all caught up in your own mind we go down that rabbit hole of thought after thought after thought feeling after feeling after feeling 
and it can it can be a spiral whereas if you have that outlet and sometimes that can just be a communication with someone it can be really powerful and i think that's the stuff we need to work on which is you know what you know a lot of what we're trying to do and, and the conversations that are happening around mental health are in that space of like trying to encourage people to talk but also trying to encourage other people to talk to the person who they think might be dealing with something right and that's something that is so important because it's so at the core of what makes us human that there's not been any evidence that any other animal can experience self-judgment to the extent Mm. we can so when you think of that spiral, so often it starts off as something, but then it's our judgment on top of it. Like we may be feeling anxious and then we're feeling anxious about feeling anxious. You know, we, f- we invalidate the emotions and feel bad about them by piling on more negative emotions. Mm. And so of course it spirals. So on one hand, it's breaking that chain. And on the other hand, I love what you said about it being fine. You know, not just don't judge yourself, but actually it's fine. And I would even go one step further and say, it's, it's natural. That's how we work, that certain things happen in our life that can cause trauma. And as a result of our survival to that, we can have emotional scars that we need support to overcome. In the same way with your physical health, you get injured and your body has scars from that, that it can then recover from, you know? So I, I really hope we can get to a place and we are getting there. It is really great to see these conversations opening up, but I want people to know that it's not just okay. That's, that's how we work. That's what makes us human, that we experience a full gamut of emotions and there is no right emotion and wrong emotion. We just do what we can with it. Yeah, that's it. And, and, you know, I always say, you know, when I'm coaching with clients, because a lot of the work is like, you know blocks in people's mind because they don't want to feel a type of way or they have a certain thought which makes them feel a type of way and a lot of what i say is like we have a whole spectrum of emotions to to feel and experience if you're Mm. shutting off 50 percent of those because you don't like them you're not experienced the true nature of living like you know like you said we are thinking feeling beings and if you're shutting off 50 percent of that of course you're going to cause conflict because you're not allowing yourself to feel the full range of emotions that we have And that's going to cause conflict because if you feel an emotion you don't like, you're going to highlight it and go, oh, I don't like how I'm feeling right now. Why am I feeling like this? And that rabbit hole begins. And it's so easy to fall into that that trap. And, you know, like even for me this morning, right, I I was planning last night to get up this morning, um, half seven, set my alarm and do a workout this morning. I didn't get out of bed till like nearly nine o'clock. And there was a part of me that wanted to beat myself up for not getting out of bed and doing my workout. But then something you know because of the work that I've been doing and my understanding something kicked in was like do you know what it's fine like just do the workout tomorrow or do it later it's fine if you haven't got up I don't need to beat myself up about it maybe I just needed the extra hours in bed like who knows and it's fine either way and it's kind of helped my day not turn into a day of beating myself up about the smallest things and just let that moment come Mm. felt it acknowledge it allow it to be what it is and it passes with a little bit more ease rather than you know spending the whole day on that route of like oh the world you know i'm against myself and everything's going wrong and which could easily be the case like my internet crapped out about an hour ago and i was panicking that we wouldn't be able to record this but i was like no do you know what it's going to be fine the internet's going to sort itself out if it doesn't we can reschedule you know i could easily again beat myself up about that and i think a lot of what we're saying is like being able to allow yourself to feel 
the things that don't necessarily feel great at the time, but they're part of our human life. They're part of our experience of life. Yeah. And doing our best where possible to check what is actually reality. Mm. You know, I am going to understand if you've got internet problems. I've had the same thing with recording, but this is the difficult thing, right? That it's a process just because we're mental health podcasters doesn't mean we always practice what we preach. Mm. You've got to put that effort in. You don't just learn a thing and then, oh, that's your life fixed and you never have problems with that again. Yeah. So true. It's so true. So, so with your own personal experience with kind of, you know, battling with mental health, where's the, where did that start for you? Where was the kind of, where did the awareness around you struggling with mental health um, occur in your life? Uh, well, like many people much, much later than when the symptoms first came up. So I don't know if there was a time before I had depression. If there was, I can't remember it. But in, low, but in knowing so little and in the stigma being so palpable to me, even as a young person, I learned that certain things weren't acceptable. If I couldn't justify my sadness, then I wasn't allowed to have it. It would make other people uncomfortable. So you learn to build up this mask. And over the years, as I've got support, I've had to unpick a lot of that not just the ease at which I can pretend to be happy and which that is actually disingenuine and can push people away because often people can tell, you know, they can tell that you're not telling them things, even if you're coming across as like the life and soul of the party. And, you know, so there was the depression and also an eating disorder, anorexia. And I got support with, the depression far sooner and I think a lot of that was growing up not seeing men with eating disorders even exist Mm. and therefore I genuinely didn't know that was possible and through getting support with with one condition and then the other and coming to terms with them I've had to unpick a lot of what parts of this is me and what parts of this is the illnesses Mm. that I'd for so long thought I'm a lonely person. I'm a sad person. I have no appetite. I, I I genuinely thought for years and I'm aware that I probably convinced myself of this because it was easier to acknowledge my problems with food Mm -hmm. instead, sorry, easier not to acknowledge my problems with food. I convinced myself that I didn't have a relationship with food. I thought that everybody cares about it and I just don't, I just don't care. And that's why I don't eat much or I go Mm. these long periods of, of fasting and not, not touching food. And then I feel some kind of pride in doing that in hiding from it and not knowing actually that that could even be a thing me as a young man, I'd be struggling with. I convinced myself that this was all normal and it was part of my personality. So then you've got to get over the masking behavior, but also, who am I? What are the boundaries here? Mm. And how do you get past that behavior? Because, you know, like you quite rightly said, and even as you said it, I was thinking the exact same thing. Like I can't think of too many guys that I know, or at least I'm aware of that have suffered from, you know, something like anorexia, you know, it's very common in, in girls and, and young ladies and women today, but it's, it's not a very common thing. I don't believe in men. So how, did you go about 
a becoming aware of that even being a thing for you like you said you thought it was normal right which is part of what everyone goes through when you're struggling with mental health issues is like it's normal life to you so how did you go about sort of getting over that hurdle of understanding this isn't normal this isn't reality like this is something that is an illness within me it, it was a long process and I think like many people it got to a kind of breaking point that we often talk about you come to a point and you have to get the help mm. and a lot of the time it's sold as a, a point of realization but I think it's deeper than that I think it's a build-up that for much of the earlier symptoms um, because of the prevalence of the stigma it can genuinely seem that the easiest thing and the natural thing to do is just do your best and grit your teeth and have the British stiff upper lip, Hmm. all of these things, and just get on with it. And so there's maybe not always that clear point of, okay, this is where I struggled with this. Instead, it's that was building up and there came a point where I couldn't cope anymore. And for me, that was when I was at university. So university was not something I'd ever planned to do. I have dyslexia. I'd always struggled at school. And so I was really there counting down the days to leaving sixth Mm. form. And then uh, I applied for university because we had form time where everyone did that, never thinking that that would ever happen. You know, to give an example of that, I can't tell you even now, A, what my degree was in. I just know it was something in business. (laughs) So that gives you an idea like how bad my depression was, how checked out I was. Mm. And B... Um, the universities I applied for were like Aberystwyth and Bangor, like mm. the ones right at the beginning of the alphabet, because, you know, I was just going through the motions. And mm. as I took um, my, my summer and my time away from school, it became increasingly clear that university wasn't a choice that I could opt out of in my household. And part of that is having very academic parents. Part of that is coming from an immigrant background and the kind of expectations that were put on my parents that they then automatically put on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a little bit of them feeling like they'd maybe failed me if I had dyslexia and that university wasn't really something that I wanted. But actually, no, that wasn't the path for me. But, you know, it did get to a point where I would be coming home from work. You know, I had a job right from when I was 16, which again made university make less sense. But I'd be coming home from work and my parents would be waiting for me like an ambush. (laughs) And it didn't matter if in these arguments I was in tears or, you know, I left the room, they would come after me. There was no getting around again and again having these arguments about going to uni yeah and we got to a point where it was you go or you get kicked out and I don't think I was in the place emotionally or financially for that to even be a consideration so you know (laughs) not long after I found myself bitching up at Bangor University my parents helped me drop all my stuff off they left and I felt abandoned and completely dazed Mm. you know I'd I'd only left my job like two weeks before Mm. (laughs) I'd like you know had to cut off my life and suddenly found myself in a new city away from my support system feeling completely lost obviously got straight on the phone to a friend from back home and was like 
what do I do now? And what initially I sort of embraced as, oh, this is novel, we'll grit our teeth again, was that thing of, I can't grit my teeth through this. My depression was getting worse and worse. I didn't at the time know that I had it or the eating disorder. Um, and so before long, you know, day was night. I was sleeping all the time. I was eating less than ever. And I just could hardly recognize the person that I'd become. Mm. I'd been raised to think of work as so important in how you identify. And I felt like I'd been torn away from that. And I didn't know who I was without, you know, my life, what I thought was my life. Mm. I didn't know who I was in this new context. Yeah. And it's, that's so powerful because I feel like that's not exactly in the same way, but something that I faced as well. And I realized that I was, you know, going through depression. It was like, I was almost looking at myself in the mirror thinking like, who am I? Like what? Like, I don't, I don't think I know who I am. I don't think I know. I felt like an empty shell with like nothing inside. I didn't know anything about myself. And you kind of almost feel like you're, you know, having to start something all over again without any knowledge of anything prior because you're like, I don't know what's what to do with myself. So what steps did you take to kind of begin that process? Well, I think looking back on it, ironically, the stigma drove me to getting help because again, it was that brushing off of what people are going through. A lot of you're just homesick, a lot of you're in university, it's meant to be the best time of your life. You know, all these things that were completely incompatible with what I was actually going through. And I didn't really make many friends there. I did make some friends, which at the time is, which now is baffling, right? Because I hardly understand why. I was so closed off and I was hardly, as time went on, even leaving my room. Mm. So I was like, how did, that happen um uh, but you know i'm lucky and many of those friends have, have stuck by me and and were a massive support in that time but particularly with my parents and a lot of the people that i lived with actually really um hated the fact that i was struggling mm. and I, I i don't even know to this day what that was whether it was partly stigma or whether it was partly you know we're all here at university to have a fun time and you're bringing down the mood like i don't really know what that was or maybe they were struggling too and i was mm. reminding them of their struggle because people hate that if they're yeah. not dealing with their own shit and so kind of partly as a rebellion to that i was looking up you know online trying to figure out what, what i was going through the NHS has, I think it still has this little quiz thing that gives you an idea, not if it won't diagnose you with depression, but it'll give you an idea whether you should go to GP. Mm -hmm. And I remember obsessively doing that. And the way you doubt yourself, you know, I kept downgrading my answers and every time it still came back to go to your GP, you might have depression. Mm. So I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is obviously real. So by the time I actually did go and have diagnosis, um, I'd started coming to terms with it and it was actually a big weight off to be like, huh, there is a name for this. I'm not on my own. So many people go through this. This is something that my medical parents should understand because a doctor has said 
that I'm struggling and it's not just homesickness. I'm not just being a downer. I'm not complaining about nothing. I am struggling. I do deserve help. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's amazing how just having that feeling of, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is exactly, but like recognition of like, okay, so I am going through something. It's not just me, like you said, being a downer or always being tired or, you know, never in the mood for something. It's like I'm actually dealing with something. And that for me anyway, in, in, in that moment of recognizing it kind of took a huge weight off my shoulders. Cause all of a sudden I had almost an explanation for how I was feeling. You know, it wasn't, it no longer was, it no longer felt normal. It, it felt like, okay, this is something I have to deal with. I have to do something about like if I want to you know grow if I want to change if I want to experience a shift in my life I have to do something about this I can't carry on the way I am and I think that it's almost like an awakening in a way you know and it's like just that in itself is enough to spark something incredible which is the 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 experience of of growth and change which I think is you know the part of the journey which becomes really interesting because you start to learn more about yourself and I think a lot of, you know, what we, we kind of talk about and, you know, what we've been talking about comes down to not being in touch with yourself and really truly understanding how it is that you feel and what it is that you're going through. And I've been making a lot of uh, TikTok videos recently about, you know, self-love and learning to love yourself. And honestly, it's shocking the amount of people that comment on the videos saying, how do I love myself? I don't know how to do it. What if I tell myself I love myself? I just don't believe it. And to me, that's shocking because A, I understand it because I've been there. But B, I'm like, I still, even though I've been, I still don't understand how someone can't look at themselves and tell themselves they love themselves. But that's, that to me is fundamentally one of the problems is that you're unable to do that. So you're unable to say to yourself, look, you, you aren't feeling okay because that is your norm, you know? And I think that journey of trying to understand more about yourself comes out of you know, the pain comes out of the struggle, comes out of the everything that you're going through. And it makes almost the experience worth having had in the first place because you do then become more in touch with yourself, which then enhances your experience of life. So I don't know if you kind of experienced the same kind of thing, but that to me, that feels like what generally tends to happen is that moment of like, okay, yes, I, I understand now let's let's do something here right that's so powerful i love the way you've put that and you were searching at the start there for the word and for me the word was validation mm. when i got my diagnosis mm. that so often we hear this stigmatizing language of it's all in your head and i really hate that and i wonder in the future if we'll come to a point where we dispense with the terms mental health and mental illness sorry will dispense with the terms mental health and physical health. Mm. I think for now, unfortunately, we kind of need it because of the stigma mm -hmm. to describe this specific area. But you couldn't tell me at the time that I didn't feel physically exhausted, that my aches of the depression weren't real, that my outlook of the world was completely made up. Mm -hmm. You know, that was what I was hearing all the time. And... So it was validation to hear, A, 
that this is something real, that it affects so many people. And also there is help and there is hope. Mm-hmm. And I, I really needed that. That was the biggest thing, actually, because that gave me the permission to go and get that help. And I think that links to what you said about self-love, that it's a partly a cultural thing that I think is particularly bad in the UK where so much behavior that is healthy can be seen as selfish Mm. and that you should just kind of put up and shut up and self-love and self-care are are definitely involved in that. We forget the fact that looking after ourselves and um, caring enough about ourselves to do that is actually the best thing for everyone. Mm. You know, we don't want to be a burden so then look after yourself, you know, but that somehow has been called selfish. So it's a real trap where you can't win. And for me, I think I needed that kind of break out of the cycle of trying to push everything down and going with the sort of man up culture of, I'll try and convert these negative emotions into something more positive and it wasn't working. And so to get the, the validation of, this is real. You can get help. Here's some options was also permission for me. Mm, Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, beautifully put about the kind of selfishness of, you know, and how that is important. You know, you are the most important person in your own life and to put yourself first, be it by, you know, taking care of yourself or your energy or whatever it is, shouldn't be, well, it is selfish because the nature of it, but it shouldn't be seen as a negative thing. You know, I I disagree though because I think that the word selfish implies that it's only about you. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think we need to put in the bin. Yeah, you know, exactly. and you can think yeah. about it in so many ways. Like I've got a podcast coming up soon about relationships, and it applies in that world as well. You know, you want someone that's looking after themselves, that's attractive, mm-hmm. that's working on their career, their mental health. Their, their connections with others, their grooming, you know, the whole thing. You want people to be looking after themselves and you want to be in relationships where you encourage each other to look after yourselves. You look out for each other, but you also look out for yourselves. And that's not just a relationship thing. That's everybody, mm-hmm. right? We want our parents to look after themselves. We want kids to look after themselves. We don't want to worry about people. And sometimes in order to do that, we have to have the difficult conversations, ask people how they're really feeling, but also make it okay for them to know I'm here for you, but you should also be here for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And that's it. And I think, you know, the, I guess the point that that I was trying to make as well is that like being selfish shouldn't be seen as something that is, you know, we see it as deem it as negative, but it shouldn't be because you're taking care of yourself and, by improving that relationship with yourself and taking care of yourself and being aware of that only allows you to thrive in all of your other relationships and all of the other areas of your life. And that in no way can be negative if it's, you know, cause it's, it's, it may be seen as selfish, but it's actually selfless because you're doing it so that you can be the best for everyone else in your life, which to me makes the most sense out of everything. Um, and I know, you know, you were talking about your kind of, journey through through school and education system and and very similar to me was that you know I went through a lot of my school life not realizing what it was that I was battling through and this came out in you know I guess certain behaviors in school that were deemed as being 
you know, unbothered uh, by school or not interested or, or whatever, which is kind of the case. And I kind of have a bit of a thing about the education system failing people like me who, who were going through something and not seeing it for what it was and, and trying to put a different label on it. And I know that you've been really big in, in, in sort of campaigning against or for rather mental health in education. So do you want to explain a bit about like what it is that you've been up to and kind of where that is at in terms of the work that you've been doing? Yeah, sure. I've actually got a question for you first, where you mentioned about being frustrated with school. Do you think that was part of the expectation that's put on us as young boys that certain emotions like sadness aren't okay and so convert them into anger? Yeah, possibly, possibly. Because I mean, a lot of my school life was... You know, particularly in secondary school was like h- hating being there in the first place I didn't like the school environment and I think a lot of that came out in me feigning illness so that I didn't have to go to school it came out in me not trying it came out in me um, you know in lots of different ways and it, you know looking back over time and I think we spoke about this on your podcast like I can almost look back on that and be like I was clearly trying to deal with something as a young 13 14 15 year old boy you know with hormones with growing up with all of this stuff at an all-boys school and with teachers you know when you're when you're distracted in class and you're not listening it's like it's seen as being naughty rather than being like is everything okay like what's distracting you like all of these things like they they seem like such obvious behavioral traits for someone who is struggling one way or the other be it just in school because they, you know they have you know like yourself dyslexia and they can't they can't they find it hard to learn or they're struggling with something else yet that was never highlighted as a thing I, I was seen as like a bad kid for being like that and I feel like a lot of that is wrong like imagine that's a kid these days especially now when you look at the amount of young children who are you know probably going through things and the suicide rates of young kids going up and up and up it's like you can't tell me that they're just being a bad kid there's got to be more to the picture and it's like where where do we or how do we start the conversation how do we get that work into school so that stuff is being highlighted is being taught we're being educated on it from an early age we're being shown that it is okay if you're feeling a type of way and we are here to support you and this is how we can do it and and you know going through that process right because these limited ideas of what it is to be your gender, and this Mm -hmm. absolutely affects far beyond just men, can have such negative impacts. And so, you know, for me, that was an obvious link, the way you described it, that you were frustrated and you were angry and you were disengaged because being angry is somehow considered manly, but being sad is feminine or or not manly. It's so weird because I don't believe in it to even describe it. Yeah. um, you know, the idea that your sex has anything to do with what emotions you can feel. I I would love it, you know. <laughs> I would probably have signed up when I was younger if I could be like, ah, oh, I'm a man, I don't have to be sad. Yes, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's not how it works. Yeah. And so for me, the mental health education is a way for me to be part of that change that young people get the support to understand at least the basics of mental health and what they can do to be proactive, what they can do to support others and get support themselves right from a young age. 
so that young people don't have to go through what we did of waiting so many years to figure out what it is. You know, how is it that we've ended up in a situation where sex ed that can be so taboo and was so controversial when it was continuing to develop, that's now so normalised. So I can go talk to my teacher about condoms, but mm. heaven forbid I say that I'm sad and I think there's something yeah. wrong with me. Um, so for me, that's what it all fundamentally comes down to. So the mental health education I campaign for is for the whole of the UK. Um, I've got a petition all about it, um, which people can find online. And it's and it's been going really well. We've got over 200,000 signatures. Wow. And the education has just rolled out for England and Wales as of last month. Nice. That's and amazing. And it's surreal. Like I, I'm so, so often talking about it and even whilst doing so, feeling like, oh, this is really real. I haven't quite fully realised that myself because it is such great progress. But then on the other side, it's stuff that we so obviously needed. Yeah. That a lot of the elements, like in primary school, it's talking about it being okay to feel different emotions and if you're struggling with that, to talk to an adult, but not to, you know, judge yourself for it. Um, and that we all get sad sometimes. You know, it's really nice normalising stuff that absolutely primary school kids will find relevant. And then as you go into secondary, it's more in terms of specific symptoms, specific mental illnesses, what to do if you think you might be experiencing some of this, mm -hmm. as well as other areas like... Um, issues around drugs and issues around not just safe sex in terms of biologically but also how are you going to get into safe relationships when you get older yeah. what does that look like and what are uh what are dangerous interactions to be getting into um including with with family you know what yeah. is certain elements of um abusive behavior that you should speak up about as well so it's really wonderfully broad but so many of these elements are also like yes of course <laughs> of course kids should know that it's okay to be sad and where to get help yeah exactly and and the thing is it's it's so broad in itself and you know it we label it as mental health and it's that is as broad as physical health being limited to i've just stubbed my toe and my toe hurts that's not my whole physical health there's a lot more to it and it's the same within within the mental health but there's so many areas and parts and pockets and things that that label that term covers and you know within a learning environment like with you know call it 800 900 1000 kids in, in just one school like everyone that is in that school is probably you know feeling something in that area somewhere to do with their own mental health they need to learn how to take care of it need to learn like you said symptoms recognizing things how to talk about it what's you know how to feel comfortable about speaking about it and and i feel like you know the biggest issue i have with the education system is that we are still taught the same thing in schools pretty much to the word to the letter you know in the curriculum today if you're starting as a year seven child this year you are still being taught the same things that I was being taught when I started year seven in 1999. 
and probably the same for someone who started in year seven in 1989. And it's like the curriculums haven't changed in terms of what kids are being taught, yet the world around us has developed so much in that time. We didn't even have mobile phones. Personally, like kids didn't have mobile phones in 1999 when I started secondary school. Now you walk up to any secondary school gates and every kid is going to have a smartphone with cameras, with social media accounts, with this, with that. And they're taking on information all the time and they're taking on all of these things and shaping their view of the world through what they're learning through their phones, through their you know connections in school. Yet we're not teaching them or showing them how to deal with that and manage it and how to speak about it, understanding why self-love is important understanding what mental health is you know but we're being taught pythagoras's theorem which no one has ever used outside of a classroom apart from you know an elite one percent of people who are pythagoras himself yeah and pythagoras himself so it's just like it's mental to me and it's like i just feel like we i i do know what you mean you know yeah and and i think what you're saying is it's tricky because obviously the curriculum has developed but the subjects have remained very stagnant mm-hmm. and so on one hand there's so much that we're not being taught that we should be like the reforms that include this mental health education also include elements of how to be safer online yeah. which was very lacking also include um appropriateness in terms of like Uh, not taking naked images of yourself and sending them around because so many kids fall victim to that. It's a peer pressure that thankfully I can't really relate to because I wasn't going through that, Mm. but the peer pressure was enough with what we had, let alone then the whole internet elements of it. And even within the subjects that are more stagnant, you know, I think I do love maths, but maths also needs to develop more. You know, there are, you're right, a lot of areas of algebra that don't really relate to our day-to-day life unless you go into that field. But also there's so much stuff that maybe we don't need to spend as much time on anymore. Yeah, I don't do a lot of maths because I have a calculator. Yeah. Or when I worked in retail, it told me how much change. You know, <laughs> I, on one hand, I'm glad to have the maths I do, but I don't need to have perfect like mental arithmetic i can be a bit sketchy around that because the ways in which we uh, approach this have changed but one thing that we are struggling with a lot more and which i wish i was educated on is more to do with statistics Mm. we live in this world of somehow contradicting facts depending which side of an argument it is you're seeing very different numbers very different interpretations and so i really rely on that now to cope as an adult Mm. where i you know look at the pandemic figures or i look at um you know voting numbers and i do my own sums because it helps me relate to it you know if i can see okay when i divide down this many cases it's this many you know in my city and it's this many per this um and so it's one per this many people in my city. Mm-hmm. You know, this helps me wrap my head around it because otherwise I think we just get numb to it. Yeah. We just hear all these massive figures on the news and this contradicting information and understandably feel kind of lost. And that is the world that our young people are coming into. Mm. You know, maybe being taught what fake news is will have to be on the curriculum before long. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And, you know, I think there's just so many elements to it. And 
you know, even as, as you're talking there, it's like a lot of it to me still, it still boils down to that subject, you know, the, 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 the category of mental health and, you know, getting that more into the school system and not just like as a, you know, stick up a whiteboard and, and a projector and some, some slides that explain what to do with online bullying, like how do you, like it's integrating it within the culture of the schools, you know, within, within each school and having teachers as well in, and, and, you know, professionals within the schools who are aware of what symptoms could be for a child and how to approach it. If they think a child is struggling, how do they, you know, there's so much to it. And I'm just really glad to see that right. that has started in some way to kind of put the wheels in motion and the campaign that you've been working on is starting to put those wheels in motion so that that one particular in within the curriculum can expand outwards into so many different areas that you know categorically need to be in schools and it's not just schools it's workplaces after that as well but schools is as important because that's the next generation if you can get to it and help children understand it from an early age it should in theory help a lot moving forward when those kids get older and they've got their own children you know etc 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 so mm-hmm. It's very important. It's very important. It's glad to see that it's happening. Um, And I'm so proud of it and so excited to see the change and also just how in-depth it is. You know, I had to go through all these rounds of giving feedback, like literally going line by line in the legislation. And I'm so pleased to have been part of that because I've actually been really pleasantly surprised. You know, I, I do compare it to sex ed because it will be taught in a similar part of the curriculum so as opposed to a subject that you get tested on and that there's certain you know finite learning objectives it's more of an open discussion which it needs to be Mm. and you know it's great to see that it's a lot more broad than even what I thought might be possible initially I was used to you know for me with the example of sex ed I went through that in terms of it being very biological here is a chart Here's what happens. And then, you know, we're surprised that so many people as adults say, I, you know, I didn't even realize thrusting was involved. You know, I just thought you put the two bits together, you know, because nothing was, and I'm not saying necessarily we teach that, but it just gives you an idea of how limited it is. Or, you know, I I wasn't taught about what an abusive relationship could be like or what kind of person is appropriate, what kind of behavior is appropriate at different ages Mm. you know beyond sex there's so much more to relationships than just one act and there's so much more risk than just that as well so it's really great to see that that part of it's being reformed and being broadened out to look at the more emotional side as well but also that we've not ended up with that only scientific you know purely kind of biological approach to mental health and so right from primary school people will be taught, young people will be taught self-care, you know, just basic self-care techniques, which benefit everyone. You know, it's a, irrespective of what your mental health journey is, having that, those basic tools mm. is so powerful. Yeah, for sure. And how far does it go in terms of the actual, the teachings? Because I, I'm trying to think, you know, during my school life, I think I had maybe two sex ed classes ever in one in primary school one in secondary school like how how often how regular is the kind of proposed plans like in terms of is it going to be something that's a a a discussion that happens once a month 
you know is it a, a termly thing like how often or how you know much is it gonna kind of be happening in in schools as, as you've kind of proposed really sure it's a good question unfortunately it gets a bit complicated because of course there's differences for primary and secondary uh, the Welsh um, schools mm-hmm. are governed separately to the English schools um, and so there's a bit of it depends with that um, but the idea is that the curriculum is full enough that it should be taught through the year across mm-hmm. the board even if there's some variation um, on on the frequency of lessons it should be something that goes through all three terms every year of your education um, between certain ages yeah and so it's that consistency yeah. but also there's plenty of space within it to do even more so yeah. certain areas like um issues around eating disorders isn't part of the prescriptive education that they'll be mentioned but there won't be specific teaching around what the symptoms are there as much but there are avenues of extra learning for schools that find that to be more of an issue Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way there's additional modules relating to drugs for schools that find that's more of a problem for them so I'm really confident that it's a thorough education but then there's even more that you can bring on as well yeah of course and yeah. I will keep I will keep pushing it the journey's not over still got to get Scotland and Northern Ireland yeah. on board but we're getting yeah. there and then broaden out into Europe and America <laughs> but I, th- I feel like like because what I'm just aware of is like it <laughs> it becoming a tick box exercises like okay we've ticked the box of the mm. mental health thing and and you know neither of us and i'm sure a lot of people listening don't want that and, I, and i'd hope that the people involved in you know getting this into schools don't want that as well which is why it's good it's good to hear that it's going to be something that's spread out across a, across the terms across a year for you know across your school life which is as it you know well and truly should be because it's not something that just happens at one point in your life this is something that is you know your mental health as much as your physical health is something that you have to keep in check with across your life you know you can't just go through your life not checking in with your physical health because you would you wouldn't be able to physically you know operate your body and it's the same with your mind it comes down to being able to have the understanding that it's something that you have to keep in check with otherwise you know much like if you roll your ankle and you don't get it treated it's not going to get any better by itself you have to keep in check with it you have to keep on top of how it's healing same with your mind right for sure well that's how you normalize it you keep having the conversations Mm. and even as a podcaster that's so exciting to see you know the change with our listenership but also predict that change that there'll be whole generations coming through now that have a basic level of understanding that we didn't, that potentially can get more support and support sooner, have um, a head start in many ways. And so we'll have whole new generations of listeners because hopefully we'll (laughs) keep podcasting forever. And, you know, that we will see just even more change because things are changing. The stigma is slowly but surely dying a death and... Yeah, I'm so proud of that progress and of you, of course, for your part in it and your brilliant show. Thank you. And likewise, and, um, you know, really, really pleased that we're well, A, to know the person who is going to be 
taught about in years to come of the, one of the people who <laughs> got this stuff into schools and really pushed for it and campaigned for it but also you know to see that the incredible hard work that you have put in is coming to fruition and and I think a lot of people will take a lot of value from that either if they know it or if they don't know it they will um which is great so appreciate the time today Bobby it's been amazing to catch up and chat and hear about what you've been up to um and before we sign out do you want to let people know where they can keep up to date with you, where they can listen to your podcast, where they can sign up for the petition and anything else that you kind of want to shout about. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's been hectic lately. There's a lot going on. So we're recording this uh, the week before. Uh, in fact, let me rephrase that. Um, we're recording this with next week being when World Mental Health Day is. So I've got a two-part series on gender, particularly a lot of the gender expectations we talked about as a factor in mental health over on my podcast, uh, which you can find at mentalpodcast.co.uk. I've also got a new show all about dating where I'll be interviewing comedians and, you know, having a show that's a bit more lighthearted, sort of balance things out a little bit. And that will be coming out on the 16th of October. You can also find both of those by searching my name, Bobby Temps. That's Bobby with a Y. And the petition is also on the podcast website. Awesome. I think that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. And uh, we'll catch up soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So there we have it. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did like what you heard, then please leave a review. And even better still, hit that subscribe button so that you get the latest episode straight to your phone. And if you know someone who you think would really benefit from hearing this episode, then be sure to send them the link or a screenshot because it's very important that we continue to spread the positive vibes and messages in episodes like this. I started this podcast to help inspire a positive change and you can also be a part of that by sharing the love. So as ever, you can connect with me on Instagram at IamAlexManzi. Come and say hello. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And until then... Thank you for listening and I will see you for the next episode. This podcast is produced by Unedited.